0: This is an ordinary episode of Triple Click. Nothing like that lost deleted episode that I left on a cassette tape and a <laughs> Welcome to Triple Click where we bring the games to you. This week we celebrate Halloween with Polygon senior editor Patricia Hernandez who tells us about some video game ghost stories and urban legends known as creepypasta. I'm Maddie Myers.
1: I'm Jason Schreier, and I'm Kirk Hamilton.
2: And hello, hello. We're back again. What a lovely, lovely time to see your faces on
0: our video game podcast, which is called Triple Click.
2: It sure is. Let's
0: say hypothetically that somebody liked this show so much that they wanted to give us a little tip, a little money. This is
1: a wild hypothetical, Yeah, wild really thought weird. experiment here. But doing. like, what
0: if, what if somebody wanted to tip their podcasters? Where would they where would they go? How would they do such a thing?
1: That's a good question, Maddie.
0: I have a suggestion for this person. Okay. <laughs> they could go to maximumfun.org slash join oh. and they could give us give us a little tip by becoming a MaxFun member. Act and now then... and we'll
2: throw in a set of steak knives. <laughs>
0: We'll throw in a Horizon Zero Dawn (laughs) spoiler-filled Beancast just just for you. A bunch of
1: bonus episodes that you can listen to.
2: (laughs)
0: Just a bunch of bonus apps.
1: Bonus apps
2: every month.
0: I think people should do that.
2: I think they should, too. I think so, too. Hey, so before we start, I have some exciting... News, guys. Oh, wow. Wow. Very exciting news. So about three years ago, a little over three years ago, I published a book called Blood, Sweat, and Pixels. Um, and it did pretty well. So I decided to write another book. And that hey. new cool. book <laughs> is now officially announced. I announced this week that my new book is called Press Reset. Rune and recovery in the video game industry. It is coming out in May on May 11th. It is a book about what happens to people when game studios shut down, and it is about the volatility in the video game industry. It's full of a bunch of stories, just like Bloodstone Pixels was, um, all based on firsthand interviews. I went out, spoke to a bunch of people, asked them. I-, I love just asking smart people like questions about things I don't understand or don't know, and just that's the best part of this job is getting to ask people who know more than you questions but anyway so that's what I did for this Um, the book has a bunch of cool wild crazy depressing heartbreaking stories Um, in there there's some stories about Warren Spector and Junction Point there's stories about Bioshock and Irrational and 2K Marin stories about Kurt Schilling and 38 Studios and Big Huge Games man there's all (laughs) sorts (laughs) of stuff in here I think it's really good Um, I think people will enjoy it Um, so it's a book it's like it's called Ruin and Recovery because it's a book about like the devastation that happens when a studio shuts down and like that feeling of losing your job and having to pick up and start again. But it's also about what happens afterwards and like how some people can like use that as a way to follow their dreams. And also it's about like how the video game industry can kind of recover because uh, towards the end of the book, I propose a bunch of solutions for this volatility problem and some, some explore some theories that that people are already exploring. And anyway, I think it's pretty cool. Um, If you like the first book, if you want to, you want this one, if you think you'll buy it, if you think you want to read it, do me a favor and go and pre-order it because pre-ordering really, really helps uh, authors. It helps you us to get go gold. Yeah, obviously. I <laughs> want it to go gold. Um, no, it helps. It helps us get like placement in Barnes and Noble and like well, when people can go to Barnes and Nobles again. But it helps right. us get like like algorithms. <laughs> but
0: imagine it being placed there at a physical store <laughs>
2: where people went to things. And it helps us get on lists and all sorts of cool stuff. So if you think you're going to buy it anyway,
1: do me a favor, pre-order it. If you don't think you're going to buy it, fine,
2: no problem. And you totally should because
1: it's good. Am I embargoed, Jason? Can I say that I've read it and that I, it's a great book? Oh, that's very nice. It's great. People should totally read it. Uh, Thank so, you. Yeah. That is very nice of you to say. Um, cool. Well, I'll talk more
2: about the book like way later when it's closer to coming out. when it's, when it's out. out. In May, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll get a little more in-depth on it. Um, but for now, it is Halloween, so Ooh. it is time for a very special segment.
0: And this week we actually have a special guest who is my you. colleague at Polygon, senior editor Patricia Hernandez, who used to be... The colleague of you two long ago at Kataka. Hello,
2: Patricia. So good to have you Hello, Patricia.
1: Hey,
3: guys. Welcome. Welcome to the show.
1: It's nice to see you.
3: Long time since we've all been in the same room.
1: I know. In the same Zoom call.
3: We're in the same
0: virtual room. Um, So, Patricia, we wanted to bring you in because you have written a lot of articles over the years about horror games and spooky games, and especially one recently about a game that I would not consider to be a horror game, which is Super Mario 64. So (laughs) you wrote this story for Polygon about how a lot of fans are repurposing Super Mario 64 to make it seem like a horror game. Do you want to just describe the
3: ways in which people have been doing that? Yeah, so there's like this whole resurgence of like, the mario iceberg which is just this very deep fried (laughs) image that's just like compiling all the different myths i guess that people have of this and then now because tools have gone so advanced like people can just mod these ideas to bring them to life like it's very similar to what is it that people use for team team fortress gary's mod or or yeah Mm -hmm. Um, gary's mod so they're just uh some of them honestly kind of sound like shit posts. Like, there's one that's where <laughs> Wario like follows you around, but I don't. Is Wario really inherently scary? I don't. I don't really I know. Would say but, yeah.
1: <laughs> debatable, debatable. Um,
3: but I think that's kind of part of the fun, right? Like, will anyone really get like a nightmare from playing Super Mario sixty four? I'm not really sure, but it makes her really evocative imagery. Like it's it's interesting to watch. I like
1: how it's, um, I like the term iceberg, how that's used to describe this, which I had never heard of before I read your article, although I, I'm sure some of our listeners are familiar with it. The idea that basically you start with theories that are sort of well known and then you go under the water and then you get into these really deep weird theories about what's really going on in mario 64. and it's
0: huge and there's something lurking beneath the water that's beyond your
3: comprehension yes, that's the part of yeah it, did you see there was like this this viral image that was like rating the degrees of conspiracy theories in real life and how harmful they are like it's i don't know people can talk about whether Britney Spears is being what's happening with Britney Spears and that's like a very right the conservatorship yeah yeah
0: mm-hmm. and then
3: but then you know at the deep end there's like the more harmful ones which is you right, know sure. very different from what's happening in video games but I think this iceberg <laughs> kind of thing kind of exists outside of video games also. It
0: does, but you're right to compare it to conspiracy theories because that seems to be the way that a lot of these fandoms operate as you're delineating it in this story where people kind of pretend that there's a conspiracy theory that Mario is a lot spookier than it really is and that's part of the bit where people will be posting something really scary in the game and being like is this really a part of the game or not and am I finding something that was always there or am I just creating something on my own? that was never really a part of the game and making it seem
3: like it was always there. Yeah, it's like shared fiction. And I guess the the central conceit, a lot of them are based on the whole idea that every copy is personalized or whatever. And I'm not entirely sure right. where that came from. But then if everyone yeah. jumps off that same idea, then any story that they could tell could potentially be plausible if they if they all agree on that one fact.
1: <laughs> there's so much in video games, there's so much about replication where someone will say, even outside of, you know, creepypasta, my game is haunted stuff, just like I was able to get this, you know, unbelievably unfair kill right, because of this yeah. broken weapon in a game. And then people will immediately be like, yeah, but I can't replicate that in my game, so I don't believe you. So if you take this concept that every copy of Mario 64 is unique it, it like nicely sidesteps and you can get away with anything it's that like saying, problem right and you can be like well maybe wario is in my game and that's it like it's just only in my it's game. like saying oh
2: trump didn't mean it literally he just meant it metaphorically and then he can say absolutely anything <laughs>
1: it's just this this warping of reality we could go down the QAnon thing forever but listening to that recent reply all episode about mm-hmm. QAnon, anon yep Patricia something you just said makes me think of that about how when it was kind of starting out at least according to some of the people who were there there was this sense that everyone was kind of just playing around Mm. and some people were playing along with it and then it gradually became more real obviously that's not happening with Mario 64 but you can see how that kind of mentality goes
0: it's not but I I do think there is an insidiousness to the way that people create these conspiracy theories about video games which Patricia you've covered this a, a lot in the past about the ways that games can become Um, almost urban legend like like people Mm -hmm. will talk about pt and in a certain way and and you covered this game called sad satan for kotaku a while back and like ben drowned is another example of like games that kind of have urban legends created about them as being like these haunted artifacts but then i feel like humans have this ability to create and find patterns in anything and that can also create stuff that's Mm -hmm. harmful but that's also what's so cool about these games and spooky about them at the same time because it's like because you have the ability to find these patterns you you end up blowing that up in your own mind and being like oh like anything is possible within this game world but like it's also kind of maybe bad for you do you know what i'm saying
3: yeah yeah um something interesting that i'll note is that like i feel like the places in which any of this even works is like all older games where like your imagination was kind of involved anyway like now i feel like it's very hard to make up a conspiracy theory about like destiny 2 or something like there will be youtubers (laughs) who have like tested out every possible thing and they know the exact numbers and they're data miners who can like look at every single thing um although it, it can still happen like it really depends on the level of complexity. It did of the game. actually
2: happen with destiny one, but but <laughs> oh, yeah? that's a whole nother, whole nother story. <laughs> there was this whole idea that there was a hidden chest in the vault of glass that people oh. search for, for, for years and years. We did a whole, a whole split oh, yeah, screen yeah, yeah, episode yeah. about the secret hunters of destiny.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it can, it can definitely still happen. Like the, I don't know, like a week ago or something, uh, data miners found these files that were just like this huge roar that nobody can find a, parallel to inside of red dead online so now they're all trying to find where does this war happen so it can still definitely happen um i just think it's it's a little harder to in the to the same degree as like i don't know lavender town or or anything like that Mm -hmm.
1: right right I, i totally want to talk about lavender town too and that's another that's another older game there is there's a difference between it's just like when the people who made the game are still around and still making the game it kind of dispels some of the magic, right? And that's, I think, like, Red Dead Redemption, the original game, is a pretty haunted game. There's a lot of, I think you actually wrote about this, I remember writing about some of this stuff, too, for Kotaku, about, like, there's just weird stuff in that game, and some of it was put there by the developers. I'll never forget, I was just riding around in that game, and I came upon a guy who was just sitting at a campsite, and he said something that I couldn't quite make out, and then just shot himself. (laughs) And it was so weird, and it was like way. it was like the third I was playing the game just randomly replaying it like way after I'd played. It. I'd never seen that before, and I bet not many people see it, and it was just one of, it was just this weirdly cursed thing that happened in the game, and then there were all these rumors about ghosts and whatever. Mm-hmm. but when the people who made the game are right there still making it, it dispels some of that where with something like lavender town that it just feels like this weird old artifact you know that oh it's just it's like the ring this weird vhs tape right. that i dug up somewhere and it's just haunted and it has a mysteriousness to it yeah. um could you i i think lavender town is fascinating patricia could you maybe i don't want to paraphrase it because you can paraphrase it better so can you mm-hmm. tell people about lavender town yeah
3: so there's this whole like i don't know fascination with this town in the first pokemon game and it's also called lavender town and there's like this tower that you can uh, ascend and they reveal that Pokemon can die. And so I think that just sparked (laughs) a lot of imaginations or shocked a lot of kids. I feel like, because Mm -hmm. I don't even know. I don't even know if any other game acknowledges that possibility. Like the closest they come is like Pokemon being fossilized, I guess. But then there's that whole idea that they can come back. Right. They're not really dead. Um, but, mm-hmm. yeah, the whole thing with, with Lavender Town. And, and, and then you got the fact that, like, the original games were, uh, I don't know, is that 8-bit? Whatever, like, low degree of quality of, of graphics. Um, the sprites, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there were all these, like, spooky stories about, like, um, people finding, like, versions of the game that where their Pokemon died or... Uh, it, it's like, it really depends on what um, version of the story you're you're reading. But people just basically took that as, I guess, a story prompt for scary stories within Pokemon.
1: One thing that I really liked about Lavender Town is the music aspect yes. of it. Just because the Lavender Town theme music is terrifying on its own. I'm going to play it right now as I talk about it. <laughs> and listeners will be hearing it. And it's really weird. Um, I listened to it again when I was rereading your Kotaku article about it from back in the day. And it's, it's very dissonant music. Like, it's got all these this weird half-step shit going on. Like, just as a composition, it's odd. And it's detuned. It's, like, got weird, like, microtonal stuff going on. So it sounds uncomfortable and you hear it and um, you wrote about this in your article that there were all these rumors that the song would trigger the music would trigger people having like you know suicidal thoughts or other Mm -hmm. sort of negative reactions like the music was affecting you and because when you listen to it it is so discordant and weird it does kind of have that effect on you just because that kind of sound is like an uncomfortable sound so it gives it that air of plausibility you're like well I kind of believe that there could be some (laughs) subliminal thing hidden in this and that could and it makes the whole thing feel more real and more scary. Yeah, something
2: that strikes me about a lot of these creepy pastas is that they always kind of, or often kind of, take the 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 a Nintendo game or something else that seems cutesy and contrast it with the horror. Like it's always a ho- mm-hmm. horror story inside this game that is otherwise adorable, and that tonal contrast like even works in real games. Like it works so well in Undertale, and Undertale has its own like fan fiction slash. Slash, uh, slash, uh, creepypasta community surrounding it. Um, but it always reminds me of my, my favorite creepypasta is the story of Dead Bart. Have you guys heard this one? This is this no, is my no, favorite. No. Oh my god. It's so good. Tell oh us this good story. Oh god, it's so creepy. So you have to look this up and we'll put it in the show notes. Dead Bart. So on the internet, it's just some posts. All it is is a message board post. So as as many of these are, they're just like written in text and they're just great mm-hmm. stories. And this yeah. one is like it's this guy who tells a story about a hidden episode of The Simpsons that was so like fucked up that it was removed uh, from the air and he tracked yeah. down Matt Groening and got a copy of it. Matt Groening sent him to this website and he went to this website and it put a virus on his computer and his computer wipes, but suddenly the episode is there and he watches. it it's always it. so involved isn't oh. it it's always so involved and he says and he says in this episode the Simpsons they're all like they're, they're proceeding as normal they're going on a trip but everything seems a little bit off Homer is a little angrier like Lisa's a little sadder etc cetera, etc cetera. they get on a plane and then at some point Bart is goofing around and he gets sucked through the plane window like he cracks open a plane window and gets sucked through and he dies and you see his body in like real life form and it's really just grisly and then the entire entire second Uh act of the episode is the entire Simpsons family crying at their table and it's just them crying (laughs) and it ends and and then it ends (laughs) and then the the third act it ends with like a graveyard and you see all the celebrities who have been at the Simpsons and then the days that they would actually die and then like there's a whole bunch more graves and they're all on the same date
1: (laughs) of death It's it's great story so I'm curious about this creepypasta because I want (laughs) to I want to understand, I guess, the full cinematic universe of creepypastas because that yes. sounds to me like um, a sort of myth of a hidden episode. Mm-hmm. But yeah. for me at least, a creepypasta generally has to in some way go out into the real world. Like the rumor, there would have to be a rumor that like, Five members of the animation team died while they were working on this episode, you know, or something like that. And then people start throwing around, there's like a mystery or some hidden thing that connects everything. Yeah. Although to, I think just the of
0: idea of a missing episode being the core rumor still works sure. as simplistic as it is. And mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of games and like any technology based horror capitalizes on that same sensation of something being wrong. And also the idea of the virus in your computer. Like a lot of the games that, mm-hmm. You've written about Patricia have this same theme of like by playing this game, you're also possibly damaging your computer and your own mind at the same <laughs> time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. like it's it's infecting you and the object that you own in some inextricable way. Like that's very undertaken. There's nothing scarier well.
2: than breaking your computer. Like it kind in the of, yeah. Of like like no, it, really, is, right, it really. is a
0: horrifying thing. And so it, it, the fact that, like, in reading about that game Sad Satan that you wrote about, like the idea that the game could be doing something to your computer but nobody knew exactly what it was mm-hmm. is like actually scarier than anything that happens in that <laughs> game which is mostly just you walking through a hallway but yeah, it's like the idea yeah. that something bad is happening and you are just imagining it is part of what makes a lot of these things work so well at least for me yeah. and it's very ring video like you said Kirk yeah, um, yeah
3: that story was like I, I think I didn't realize this until after the fact so hard to like verify for that reason like am i gonna go on the dark web to go download this thing that like some people yeah. say has like porn in it or something like I don't... <laughs> can you
1: tell people what sad satan is just give us sort of a breakdown since I'm, i've read your article but I, I had never actually heard of it before that so
3: the the idea is that someone made this like fucked up game that they uploaded to the dark web and it supposedly has to do something with like this whole elaborate like real world like murders and stuff. Um and so but it became complicated because I think the game stopped being up like the original poster kind of like disappeared and and unuploaded the game. But then it mm-hmm. became complicated after I posted it because then other people like remade the game. And then there was the question of like, well, which one is the actual thing? And then some people were kind of messing with other people and like putting extra things into the game that weren't originally there and so if you go to the to the sub the subreddit now there are still people who pop in every so often because youtubers have covered this game and those videos have gone viral or whatever and they're like trying to figure out like can i download this which one is the actual thing and there are people like trying like no don't download this random thing that you think like you think is the game like you don't know what could be in it (laughs) it's dangerous right? yeah. yeah And it's not them trying to like pull their leg. It's like genuinely like you don't know what you're downloading. I
0: I feel like that's part of what makes the game work so well though, is because it now it has been elevated to mythological status where it's like, okay, you can never truly download this game anymore. It may not even exist anymore, but that means that any file associated with it is inherently scary. And also a thing you probably shouldn't download and you maybe don't even have to download it at all in order to have that horror thrill experience about it, because you're like, well, Even the file is haunted.
1: (laughs) This reminds me of the, the Polybius... Thing with that game, there was like a, the urban legend about Polybius. That's this game that is going to affect your brain. And, I don't know it's used is. by the government. Well, about? so <laughs> this, I, I think I told you both about this. I heard, a I listened to this podcast about it that I thought was real, and then the whole thing was totally fiction. Yeah, what? I remember that. And so that. then the podcast was itself kind of a creepy pasta. Oh,
0: okay. It, it
1: kind of was very frustrating. Kirk was very disappointed. Yeah. I remember it well, either. it was presented to me yeah. as at least
0: very lonely girl fifteen. I see. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, it was kind of presented. It, they didn't say at the beginning, hey, this is. A work of fiction mm-hmm. it was more just like here's the story yep. and I'm actually not even sure if there may have been some rumors forever ago about some video game in the arcade that if you played it you'd enter a trance state because it was designed to like recruit kids for the military sure. or whatever these are classic
0: all, ideas right yeah. it all
1: relates to I've been listening to a lot of you're wrong about that podcast they talk a lot about moral panics and various things like this that where there's always like some kernel of truth to it and it's always tied in with like what is happening to the children? You know, what, 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 what is this thing doing to the children? And in this case, there's always been this fear about what video games are doing to children, especially back in the kind of eras of these earlier games that we're talking about. It strikes me that that is an essential element of a lot of these scary stories. Is like, mm-hmm. OK, maybe it's not possessing your body with the devil or whatever, but maybe <laughs> but we don't know what video games are doing and they're having some kind of an effect. So let's start there and then kind of build something fictional on top of it.
2: Yeah, it, so, okay, so I have a theory here, and that is, so back okay. in the day, I don't know if you guys remember, I don't know if you guys were early internet, like, AOL, GameFAQs users, and if you, like, posted a lot in game message boards or read a lot of, like, gaming stuff online. No. But if you were, like, back in the 90s, and you read about console games online and such, you probably saw somewhere or another, like, some guide for getting a character in a game that turned out to be totally fake, totally bunk. Like, I remember there were big ones on Final Fantasy. Obviously, the most obvious one was Final Fantasy VII, and how to revive eris that was like all over the place there were all sorts of oh, guys yeah, for that oh that's a good one yeah sure um, sure these days, it's impossible to have that. There's no more mystery when it comes to games because A, like you said, Kirk, like the developers can just shoot things down, but B, like, there's so much information about everything online that it's impossible to actually have mysteries like that and, and falsehoods like that, false rumors like that floating around involving the contents of the games. So instead, I think this kind of subculture has built around these creepypastas where there could be a kernel of truth to them, and it's just like there's there's just enough ambiguity there that it can't be like outwardly debunked. Um, and I think that is kind of of, like, the fundamental uh, uh, truth, or the fundamental, like, the most important uh tenant behind these things is that like there there has to be like just the tiniest kernel of possibility there. Like it can't be completely debunked in any way. Like it could be that maybe some people's copies of Mario 64 like like uh, have haunted. this personalized thing. Right. Or, like, right. Could be, people want to believe right it could be yeah. that this game will break even your even. reign. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun to buy into this. I mean that's why people buy into Q on it's fun to be part of I'm really
3: curious about the Aerith then because isn't the whole I haven't finished final the remake of Final Fantasy VII, but isn't the whole thing... Oh, no, they're... we
2: were supposed to not oh, spoil boy. that,
0: shit.
3: <laughs> that <might be. laughs> We can't tell
0: you anything about it. The end of that game is redacted, and you're just going to have to read a creepypasta about what happens, and <laughs> yeah, I can't tell you. But um, before, before you go, Patricia, I did want to have you talk a little bit about one of the stories that you're working on now about just new trends in horror and how people are making these mixtapes. Do you want to talk about horror game compilations mm. of the modern era? yeah.
3: I mean, I think there's a whole bunch of different things going on there, right? Like, uh, for one thing, it's much easier for game developers to make a shorter game. So uh, there have been these, like, it's it almost feels like an offshoot of uh, game jams where you're working with mm-hmm. these very specific constraints. And according to some developers, it just kind of helps them hone in on whatever idea it is they want to explore. Like some of these things can't be more than 30 minutes. Like it wouldn't lend itself to a full game, but it ends up making for a more interesting game because they, I don't know. I don't, I, I feel like I play a lot of games where it's very obvious that the developers felt that they had to make it like X amount of hours and then the thing becomes <laughs> yep. less interesting. And like, uh, so these horror games don't have that problem. It's like, they're only there to do the exact specific thing um, and a lot of them have been influenced by uh, PT, and in fact, I think the Dread collection, it's literally, it's on Steam, it's a, a collection of, like, 15 games or something like that, and that's literally in the description. They're like, we told developers, like, make their version of PT, and this is, this is what they ca- came up with.
1: Could you um, explain PT to people who might not know what it is? Like, what is... What is PT? Oh
3: yeah, the it's like this viral teaser that you can no longer download. That was meant to <laughs> for the PS4. <laughs> yes, for the PS4. Um, that Hideo Kojima was behind, and the whole thing was that you didn't know that it was for Silent Hill, and you played through this entire thing, and there was like this community of trying to figure out how to like unlock the real ending. And when they did that, that was that was the big reveal. But it was so interesting because he did so much with just being in a hallway that you walked through multiple times. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. So I I feel like it completely like it created its own genre of horror game i feel, almost feel like there, there are mm-hmm. so many games mm-hmm. that you can play now that are that look exactly like pt in some way so yeah.
2: pt you can't download it anymore cuz the game was cancelled and so they took konami removed the teaser and won't let people download it or re-download which it which i think central to the appeal into that genre you're talking about
0: patricia oh, is that
2: absolutely. Well, so you i get was going to say well so it's interesting so right now like ps4s with pt on them are like a rare a rare thing i have two of those i think i think <laughs> in like 20 years <laughs> i think there'll be a whole creepy process surround Co- yes. PS4s with copies of like it'll be like PT took over your PS4 and like mm-hmm. there'll be some mm-hmm. story that'll be just amazing
0: yeah
1: mm-hmm.
0: our coworker Chelsea Stark who's our boss intentionally deleted PT from her PS4 because she believed that it was haunting her console and she <laughs> did go. not want it oh, to man. be on there it's anymore. already,
2: it's already starting um, <laughs> Patricia were you going to ask something I didn't want to like, leave this hanging were you going to ask something about Final Fantasy 7 before about Iris? <laughs> oh
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's how that's how we should close it out you know it's just talking about Aerith, like what's gonna happen
3: (laughs) well yeah i mean that that was my question like do you think that they're going to do something like i can just totally see that sparking Mm. like a whole new era of i don't know conspiracy theories about Aerith if they change it somehow
2: well, so, so what I want them to do for the remake is, like, in subsequent chapters of the remake, make it so you can revive Iris, but you have to follow the directions of a walkthrough from 1994 <laughs> where, or 1997, <laughs> yes. where they're, like, right. they're, like right. telling you. And then you... there. So, so the crazy thing about those guides and those rumors is that they always made you do these tedious things. So they were, like, thinking that, like, so few people would do them that they wouldn't get caught. So it was always, like, then you have to fight 200 battles in the dinosaur forest, and then you have to go around the world 40 times. And then, but they
1: underestimated the gamers
2: <laughs> everyone underestimates gamers um, one of them that i tried to do was like in final fantasy 6 it was like you can get cecil from final fantasy 4 to appear in your game and i like did, did the whole thing and i was so crushed to find that he was not there um at yeah. the so end, end of this at the end yeah. of this yeah it was disappointing as a child
3: yeah i think that's always like a crucial element right like hard to verify uh like going back to Lavender town for a second like when you hear the story, if you want to verify it, you have to pull out your Game Boy, you have to find your copy, like,
0: mm-hmm, you have to go into
3: mm-hmm. a basement or something, and, like, who's going to go through the through the trouble of doing... I mean, some people will, but I think that's part of the whole allure, right? Like, this, this could be plausible, and you can't quite check, but it sounds like it could be right. Yeah.
0: Totally agree. Thanks so much for
3: coming on, Patricia. I... Am never going to install Sad Satan
0: on my computer. <laughs> no, me neither. Not after watching <laughs> I, this video. No, that's my conclusion after rereading all these classic Patricia Hernandez articles. Good take. What not to install on my computer? And what <laughs>
3: to is just no dark web game. Feel
0: kind of creeped out by, and then yes. move on with my life. Um, beat Final Fantasy 7 and then tell us what you think about it.
3: Come <laughs> yeah, back. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, I will do that.
0: Okay, let's take a break, and then we'll be back with one more thing
1: we interrupt the podcast you're listening to to tell you
3: about another podcast that's right we got this with mark and hal that's correct mark this is hal we do the hard work for you settling all of the meaningless arguments you have with your friends so
1: tune in every week on the maximum fun network for we got this with mark and hal and all your questions will be asked and answered you're welcome
2: All right, that's enough of that. We got
3: this! Hi. Are you someone who thinks that when one door closes, another one opens? Someone who always sees the light at the end of the tunnel. If you answered yes to one or both of these questions, good for
0: you. We are not those people. Nope. I'm Annabelle Gurwitch, and I'm a, you know that other
3: door opening? It probably leads to a broom closet kind of person. And I'm Laura House. When I see a light at the end of a tunnel, I assume it's a train headed right toward me. Laura and I
0: have created a brand new podcast for people like us. It's called Tiny Victories. We're sharing
3: personal tiny victories or things we've read or seen that inspire resilience. So if you're looking for a tiny reason to get out of bed each week, subscribe to Tiny Victories.
0: Available on Maximum Fun or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Let's get tiny.
0: And we are back with one more thing. Woo. Jason, why don't you go first?
2: I will. Okay, so first of all, um, I have the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X. I have the next-gen consoles. You're
1: the most special boy. Is there a more special <laughs> boy than you? I am the special boy. <laughs> the specialist boy. the chunky
2: boxes. I would say
0: I'm more special because I don't have the PlayStation 5 or the Xbox Series X, but I do have the Xbox Series S. You
2: have the baby Xbox.
0: That is, as it's colloquially known, the baby Xbox. Anyway, yes. the I reason I bring this
2: up is not to brag, <laughs> but to say that for the next two weeks, we will be like going doing deep dives on these things. But we want to hear we what can't listeners... Right now.
0: We can't do it right now. We can't do it now.
2: But we want to hear what <laughs> listeners want to know about these things, because I'm sure you all have a ton of questions mm-hmm. about like next-gen hardware, what it's like. Um, there are all sorts of little things people might be wondering. So, if you have questions just email us triple click at dot org, and we will try to answer as many as possible as we start doing our xbox and playstation episodes i think we're going to do one after the other um Mm -hmm. but my one more thing is on a lighter note i watch over the weekend borat 2 the sequel to borat have you guys watched uh watch borat 2 yet
0: i haven't but i've heard a lot about it so how was it
1: (laughs) i feel like as you introduce this movie you need to say the entire name of the movie yeah yeah
0: Borat subsequent movie film. Okay, Borat That's what it's subsequent
1: called. movie film. It's actually Borat <laughs> subsequent movie film delivery of Prodigus bribe to American regime to make benefit once glorious nation of Kazakhstan. Right. Oh, Let's, okay. well, look so all yeah. very. So important. <laughs> the title cards, the
2: title cards change throughout the movie, so it doesn't just stick with one. Ah, uh, okay. Right. But, um, so so Borat, Borat is, is kind of like an interesting artifact. It's an interesting look back at like the Bush era. Two thousand six is when the first movie came out, and it was very much mm-hmm. like like one of those like we're gonna shine a light into like we're going to shine a lens into like like the parts of america that are like seedy and dark and like look we're going to get these people to like reveal how they really feel singing throw the jew down the will or like talking about how african americans should be enslaved and like like really horrible stuff that it was just like this movie was doing the purpose of like bringing to light like exposing the ugliness in twenty twenty the ugliness is all out there. <laughs> like, yeah. Like people are just yeah. the dog whistles have turned into just like blowing trumpets.
0: Just regular whistles. Just, yeah, yeah, so just... it
2: feels like it's a very different kind of movie. And I think this movie actually does a pretty good job of like taking that tone. And so there is some stuff that's just like, okay, do we really need to see like this this woman in a bakery like drawing on a cake like because Borat is like, I want you to draw J- right, like Jews will not replace us, and it's like this woman just like gleefully draws in and it's just like okay that's just repeating the same jokes as the first one but there is some stuff in there that like gets pretty interesting Um, everyone has made a lot about a lot of fuss about the Giuliani stuff um, which is interesting but like I found it more interesting when he was really just, like, at, at one point in the movie he spends five entire days quarantining with these two people who are, like, conspiracy theorists, and he just, like, mm-hmm. talks to them, and obviously he's doing his character, so his character is very much, like, sympathetic with them. At some point he's like, what's worse, like, coronavirus or Democrats? And they're both, like, Democrats, Democrats. But it was actually really interesting getting, like, a kind of documentary-ish look into these two mm-hmm. people and the way they think, and you, you almost kind of, like, like, have a little sympathy for them towards the end of it, because you get to know these people and like the way that their thought processes work and how they're thinking. And to me, the movie worked when it was doing stuff like that. There's also some just like shocking and flat out hilarious stuff throughout the movie in true Borat fashion. But I actually thought it was pretty good. And I enjoyed, I enjoyed watching a bunch of that, a bunch of the stuff that he did.
1: This movie. So for for listeners who don't know, this movie is just on Amazon. You can just watch yes. it, and I'm totally yes. going to watch this. I'm looking forward to it. I just watched, um, not to like sneak in a second one more thing, but I just watched the Trial of the Chicago Seven, mm. which right. um, Sasha Baron Cohen is also in, and he's fantastic in it. And he's been in other things. He's a really good actor. He's a fascinating dude. I really think mm-hmm. he has a project that he is doing and has been doing for a long time, and it's very interesting. <laughs> yeah. So I'm yeah, I'm really looking forward to watching that movie.
2: Yeah, I mean so one of the things that's, that he always does with these movies is like he makes them into actual movies with a plot and like in the first movie it was a plot involving Borat and like his, his friend who's the producer and then this mm-hmm. is Borat and his daughter who is this phenomenal actress by the way she like deserves all I've the credit I've heard she kind of world. steals the movie yeah. she really steals yeah. the movie because she is like first of all she comes out of nowhere like I had never heard of her I don't think anyone had but she like her ability to do all these things and operate character like she starts getting into like becoming a right wing journalist and like talking to people as a right wing journalist and like so she's on his level basically <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah, I'm just I'm always stunned that that he and she like the way they can just be immersed in yeah. this role and never break character is yeah, few incredible. people are as good. Yeah. The the one thing that's still that made me a little uncomfortable the first one and still makes me a little uncomfortable is the treatment of Kazakhstan and the fact that like he's from mm. he's saying he's from this real country and this real country is just depicted as like a shithole where like people like lock their daughters in cages and like like have like screw pigs or whatever um, doesn't really sit so well with me um, I think it would have worked so much better if it was just a fake country because like why does it need to be like picking on this real country that like doesn't really deserve to be a target Do you see
1: that Kazakhstan was extremely un- Happy about the first film, mm-hmm. and there's all these like really negative government response, but then this movie they've been sort of embracing it. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. kind of <laughs> really,
2: yeah. Huh. yeah. I think, I think my perspective in 2006 when the first one came out would have been like, oh, whatever, like he can make fun of everybody. But nowadays, mm-hmm. I think my sensibilities have changed to the point where it feels like that is punching down, where everything else is very clearly punching, punching sure. up, or at least punching yeah. awful awfulness, like as opposed to uh, mm-hmm. just punching some undeserving country Um, but the plot is very funny Um, fun fact uh, is that when he when Borat and this was the case in the first movie too when Borat is speaking in Kazakh he's actually speaking in fluent Hebrew Um, so I and I speak Hebrew so I understood the entire time he's like talking and like sometimes you you notice some very tiny differences but otherwise it's pretty good it's like a pretty good translation to like what is said in the subtitles um so that's very entertaining uh his big catchphrases <laughs> are not those are like, polish i think like jak- jek Jack or whatever jinkui or like polish um and then the woman his daughter speaks uh romanian i believe so uh, just a mm. fun fact, but anyway, yeah, I recommend watching the movie. I enjoyed it. Um, I'm not looking forward to like having to hear people do Borat impressions again uh, <laughs> for the next couple of years. I don't know if but... that's
0: gonna happen again. I feel like it. I think people only do that ironically, and yes, that's all. Well, I ever Comedy hear. Bang
2: Bang has really mastered? Yeah, the, well, the the my but wife. But they're doing that correctly. Scott Ackerman yes.
0: can say my wife as often as he wants. Yes, yes. It's fine. yes. that's so true. Sure. I've kind of grown no one to else love gets it.
2: To you, though. I've kind of grown to love it because <laughs> it of It circled back around at some point. <laughs> I watched. I watched the up on YouTube once a couple of years ago of just like a montage of Scott Ackerman saying my wife saying it amazing. <laughs> it was truly
1: amazing.
0: Yeah. Cool. Okay, Kirk, how about you go next?
1: Alright, well, my one more thing is a VR game. Ha 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 ha. Yes, reality. I can't wait. Oh my god, yes! Oh, I knew you yes! two would be so excited to hear more Whoa! about VR. Here we are, VR time! <laughs> VR time on Triple Click. Um, so, yeah, we, we uh, we, uh, I've been playing some VR in our household, enjoying the Oculus Quest 2. I gather there's a bunch more bullshit with Facebook. They, like, I don't know, whatever. Like, your, your account is tied to your games. Yeah,
0: man, don't delete your account. Don't delete your delete account. Delete that account, all your games are gone. <sighs>
1: this It's really a major downside to this thing, but I'm not talking about that right now. I'm talking about. This game, uh, this game is called The Walking Dead: Saints and Sinners. It's a mm. new VR game that is out for um, for uh, I think all platforms. Like on Steam, it's on PSVR, so anyone can play it. It's really and cool. This is by Skydance, right? Yes, made by Skydance, and it is it kind of combines elements of a survival style zombie game where you're, you know, day one, day two, day three, you're kind of going around houses and there's side quests and stuff with a kind of branching narrative, Telltale style Walking Dead mm. game where there are characters. Okay. They talk to you and you make decisions. And the title Saints and Sinners is a reference to the fact that you can either be the great villain or the great hero. It's set in New Orleans in the Walking Dead world. So everything has gone to hell and there's zombies everywhere. And I haven't played that much of it. I play it in just little bits. And um, it, it kind of, it, like most VR games, it's it's a lot. It's like a very um, rich meal. <laughs> Anytime you're playing it, there's just so much going on that I'm like, okay, I'm just going to play a little. A little bit and then stop. Plus, you don't you can't just auto-save in this game because it's a survival game. So like you'll go out into town to do something and then you need to kind of see it through in order to save. So that tends to be how I kind of stop and start. So I haven't played a whole ton. Anyway, this game is really cool. It's um, you know, you start out, it's it's very much like uh, State of Decay style. It reminds me of State of Decay, which for people who didn't play, also a zombie game, not in VR. Uh, really great. I really like the first one, where you kind of have a safe house And then you just go do stuff out in the world and gradually kind of build up your stamina and you get stronger. And there's kind of a lot of rpg light systems, a lot of crafting and sort of rummaging through stuff. And that's my main observation about this game, I guess, from what I've played, is that it's just... Everything you would do in State of Decay, you do in this game, but it's just so much more interesting in this game because you're actually doing it in mm-hmm. real life. Because is it scarier
0: know, too, and like yes. more stressful because you're really doing it?
1: Yes, um, yeah, to a point. <laughs> I mean, right, but you are like you're physically doing the thing, and when you're getting swarmed by zombies, first off, yeah, there's it that would
0: feel like you yes, are being swarmed by zombies. For no? sure,
1: there's like the VR kind of that uncomfortableness where when a zombie gets on you, it feels like there's something in your face, which is oh, you know, yeah, intense, no. scary. Um and then Halloween. And Halloween. then just the feeling of the sound design is really good. So you'll be in a room in a house kind of rummaging through stuff and you'll hear out in the hallway something kind of mm-hmm. moving around. Right and and you're I'll in like there that. and you have to look. It's not as scary <laughs> as something like uh I don't know Resident Evil 7 which was like legitimately sure. horrifying in VR and I couldn't or even like play. Or like
0: Alien it. Isolation or whatever. I don't know if there's a VR version of that, but there's no, certainly No, right,
1: right. Cuz it's more I would say it's more survival than survival horror because you can pretty... If you're smart, you can pretty much deal with zombies. But um, the fact that you spend so much time, just like in The Walking Dead... Or I'm sorry, just like in um, uh, The Last of Us, where you're you're constantly rummaging through drawers and picking up tape and shit and parts. You're doing that in this game too, but there's just something about... When you go into a room, and you're like, "Well, I'm gonna walk over to this uh, bureau, and we're gonna and you have to actually open the drawer, <laughs> open the drawers, and look." It's sort of fun. Like you're just like, "This is cool," because it's like going through. It's like gone home. It's like going to someone's house and rummaging through their oh, shit. Well.
2: So here's the question: How long are your sessions when you play a game like this? I'd say 45
1: minutes, okay. ish.
2: So this is very yeah. much a game that, like, I-, I can't imagine you playing this for like four hours straight, like the way you could for like a normal game. that you were uh, Yeah, really I don't into.
1: know. I know some people play VR games that way, but most of them just aren't really designed to be played that. Way. That way, like Half-Life Alex has a lot of great stopping points. And I find that that works well for me. I just am like, you know, they get uncomfortable. Like as good as the Quest 2 is, it still mm. gets uncomfortable after a little while. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, And then, and it's just intense. Like, so the other thing is the combat in this game is a lot of melee because it's a zombie game. And so I'll have this like knife... And then when a zombie is coming toward you, you kind of have to like you're like bobbing and weaving and kind of waiting, and then you like stab it in the head. Oh my just God. a very Walking Dead thing to do, and you really have to kind of mean it to get the thing to like puncture. Does it
0: like spray blood and brains at you when you it, stab it in no, the face? No, because
1: they're kind like of dried a up. Like, yeah, you yeah, mean like, an attachment. no, it doesn't and do like like that. It, <laughs> it doesn't like. Well, I haven't had that happen. Maybe that happens with other types of things. With the basic zombies, they're pretty dried up. But there's just this <laughs> violence. To how you're like, Ugh! and it like, you really have to kind of drive the thing through its skull, and then it gets stuck on your knife, like the zombies, because you jammed it. It really feels like you did, so it kind of ragdolls, and you have the zombie hanging off your knife, like the skull, and you have to pull it out. And there are times where, like, you kill one zombie and another one is coming, and you're trying to, like, you're struggling to get, your, to knife get your knife out of the skull of the zombie you just have. So it, again, it's another example of VR games. Having me do things that I've done a million times in video games, but they have, I've never done them like this and they haven't felt like this. Where like, I have never in a video game stood there trying to shake my knife free of a zombie's skull in time to stab it into another <laughs> one. And that's something that this game does that I've never done before. So I like it. I think it's a really effectively made game so far and I dig it. And uh, yeah, it's on all VR systems. It's called The Walking Dead Saints and Sinners. And uh, huh. yeah, I'm a fan at least so far. Cool.
0: All right. Well, my one more thing is that Destiny Two. I got a new video card. Oh. oh. <laughs> I did play Destiny Two on it. I will say that much. But I'm mostly going to talk about the video card. Nice. So I got sent an RTX 3070. Oh, that's exciting.
2: Are you, you're reviewing it.
0: Exciting for me. I wrote a review of it that went up today. Oh, nice. Well, and Polygon.com. People that's can read cool. it if they want to, or they can just hear me talk about it for the next few minutes. That, either yeah. way. Really take us away. Um, <laughs> so. NVIDIA put out a line of 30 series cards, and this is the the smallest, the lowest, the cheapest of, of that little batch. It's only 500 bucks, was three for me. And my boss, Chris Plant, reviewed the 80, and it sounds very, very nice. And he has a 4K ultra wide monitor that he played it on so he could test Ooh. the 4K, he could test the refresh rate. Well, he
1: actually needs a GPU that powerful. He needs yeah. a
0: GPU that powerful to see those 4K games at 60 frames per second or more. And he wrote about the benchmarks and was able to play in 4K. At even higher than 60 FPS mm-hmm. at various points on the 3080, which was pretty cool to read about, and I read it and I thought that sounds pretty sweet, but I don't have. Here I am. Wait a minute. I should have reviewed that one. Yeah, I should have reviewed that one, but I couldn't have because I don't have a 4K monitor to test it out on. I just yeah, have a 1440p monitor yes, with a 144 refresh rates so it's all anyone
1: needs It's all you know so how's the 3070
0: for a
2: 1440 it's
0: very very good on a 1440p i would say this is a great gpu for somebody who is gaming at the level that i am and people know my exact computer specs otherwise because we did Mm -hmm. an episode of this Mm -hmm. show where we talked about our exact specs so yep you can you can hear what i had so
2: how does it compare because you had a gt 1080 the same one that i have how does that
0: i had a 1080 that's right and i I had a 1080 regular, not a 1080 Ti. I just had the straight regular one.
2: Yeah, I have the same one. So how does this compare? It's much faster. I noticed
0: a really, really big jump in quality that I thought was very, very fun. And like Control, I played Control, which is like Mm. the go-to game to play because it has so many particle effects, Mm -hmm. so much ray tracing. Mm -hmm. They have really tricked that game out. And so what I'm also doing is that it has this... Uh, NVIDIA cards allow you to downsample 4K into 1440p, and Mm -hmm. that actually looks better than just the regular 1440p resolution. It does slow down your frame rate a little bit if you do this, but not enough to matter with the 3070 GPU. So I was going ahead and playing Control with the 4K downsampled with every effect maxed out, and it looked freaking amazing. It was always above 60 FPS, nice. no problems. I feel like I had a better performance than some of the other benchmarks I read today. So I just feel like maybe huh. I, my computer hit some type of sweet spot with Control when I was nice. playing, and I was like, mm-hmm. it went really well.
2: Maybe you have a better CPU than other. Maybe
0: other folks. I don't know. My CPU is kind of old, so some of it is just luck of the draw. I, I think. think. think you have yeah. I think it's
1: if you if you have the hiss infesting your
0: yes, PC, right,
2: of it course. runs <laughs> That's what makes Control run better. I was going to say it must be that you put more thermal paste and yes, <laughs> I'm I'm sure it was, sure it was thermal thermal my thermal
0: paste after Application. I don't know. Like it was
1: expertly applied.
2: Yes. <laughs> having
0: done a hardware review now and reading everybody else's reviews nervously yeah. this morning and being like, "Was everybody else's benchmarks the same right? as yeah, mine? Like, how did how did I do? Did I do everything well?" And like, seeing that some people could get a higher frame rate than I could on certain games, but like lower ones on games that I played that I got a better one on. I'm like, this is kind of magical and weird. Like why is it the way that it is? PC gaming. gaming.
2: Can I, can I, uh, we have a little time. I am going to go on a brief tangent real quick. So you mentioned, (laughs) so (laughs) I also have a 1440p monitor and I'm actually thinking about getting a 4k monitor because I've recently Mm. discovered the kind of the magic of, playing console games on your computer monitor. Uh-huh. Mm, welcome.
0: I'm thinking the same thing, my okay, friend. <laughs> so yeah,
2: Kirk, you always did this. Okay, so I have traditionally just been uh, like plugging into the TV, sit on the couch, like play from far away. And I always mm-hmm. had, and I've complained on the show many times in the past, and on our old show many times in the past, I always had a problem with like text being too small and like the distance. Yep. Of the, and like, for some reason, when you, you're sitting that far away from a TV, like it doesn't, you don't feel as into the game. But recently, I've been testing out all the next gen consoles on my PC monitor and I'll also do the TV to see the 4k stuff but like my monitor 1440p right in front of me and it's actually been so much better do you have
0: a 4k tv
2: yeah, 4K TV, yeah. Um, but it's been oh, okay, so much cool. better playing them on the monitor, like playing consoles on the monitor. Like Imagine I just that. switch permanently mm. to like playing on a monitor mm. because just being right in front of it, I mean, I don't know if it's like bad for your eyes or something, uh, maybe. Kirk, you, no. can, you can chime in on I don't think this it is. Part. Have no, you, have you done, is? done
0: any research on the fact that 4K doesn't even, you can't even perceive it unless you're a certain distance away? Like, you need to be closer in order to really perceive. I mean, just
2: in general, just being that close yeah. to a monitor when you're playing. So. Oh,
0: well... That's if not what I'm saying. I have no ears. idea if it's bad yeah, for you or not. I'm well, saying you can only perceive how good it is if you're closer to the monitor. Yeah, there's
2: like a <laughs> there's definitely a sweet spot. But I found so I'm finding that like suddenly console gaming feels totally different for me, especially so. Actually, it's very noticeable when I play something, um, and I can't really get into the PS5 and Xbox Series X stuff because I'm embargoed until next week uh, mm-hmm. or so. But but just to to a hypothetical console hypothetically, yeah, who can <laughs> and, say what console who knows this what you're was? Talking about. If I were playing. A game and it was very clearly at sixty frames a second versus very clearly at thirty frames a second it's even right. more noticeable when you're playing on like a, a one hundred forty four hertz computer of monitor. Course. But it's a much said, higher refresh rate. Yeah. So, like, so that's that's both good and bad. So, like, if it's a way lower frame rate, you notice it in a bad yep. way and it feels very sluggish. If it's uh, 60 frames a second, then you notice it
1: and it's like, oh my God, this is I incredible. I would draw the distinction, which this is something you and I have been texting about, about frame pacing and the difference between frame right. pacing and frame rate. Where right. there mm-hmm. are games like Spider Man and, uh, well, God of War runs above 30, but uh, Horizon's a good example mm-hmm. on PS4 where they run with really good frame pacing and they're just very even, which is like the frames are paced out evenly. Right. And those games, I think, actually look great on a monitor, where when I'm playing something with weird frame pacing, like Bloodborne's a good example,
2: that's where when I'm on a monitor... Blood, I, Bloodborne is the one. Bloodborne yeah, is very... It, it, yes, that I mean, game really sticks out, because it has yeah. some well, that game yeah. sticks out because it's so, like, it so relies on twitchiness and, like, high, like, really, right. really precise
1: mechanics. Like, when you played Sekiro at 130 frames per second exactly. on PC, like, it, you're really, like, it oh, really wow, Bloodborne. Yeah, yeah,
2: man, we really need a Bloodborne PC version <sighs> or PS5 version or whatever.
1: Dare to dream. Mm. Yeah, but, like,
2: I've, and Kirk, I'm curious to hear you're taking this because you've been doing this for a while. Like, I've, uh, it feels magical to me, like, moving to, and granted, my computer chair is not quite as comfortable as the couch, but I'm just kind of, oh, like, Oh, you man, gotta get a gamer chair. This is... <laughs> (laughs) this is kind of yeah i do but this is this is i'm i'm kind of loving loving playing games playing console games like at my desk i might do this permanently kirk what you've been doing this for a while yeah that's
1: been my main way of playing video games i think yeah i really like it uh well no for i don't know four or five years or so it's been a long time there was a while where i would play i guess i would plug my tv into a PC or, in, like, I would actually have a PC sitting next to my TV and then would mm. just, like, sit in front of the TV and play games. But then once I got the monitor I have now that goes above 60 frames per second, I started playing that way. And, yeah, I, I prefer it. It's just kind of neater, like, stuff, gaming stuff doesn't get everywhere. Like, I can keep it kind of contained. Plus, I, for a long time, had a workstation where, like, my game capture was running on my work Mac, t- like, Mac computer right. that was over right here, right next to my gaming station so I could just be playing and capturing and... That's just also all so much easier to do. It's similar to, like, a streamer setup, which I guess I technically have, too. So that all just works better at a desk. And it's just nice to be able to have really quick access to a computer. And you can, like, look things up. Or if you're playing something and you want to be reading, like, a tech tip or a walkthrough, you can do that really easily, too. So I find that all much easier. The only exception is I do like playing Switch games. Like, uh, Mm. Emily and I all play Mario Odyssey together. We were just doing that last night. You know, like, we're all on the TV in the living room. But that's kind of a different experience. Right yeah that is different co-op games are
2: different
0: yeah and also like i gotta play on my couch so that my cat can like sit directly on my chest while i'm playing a video game it doesn't it doesn't work otherwise
1: oh man last night we were when we were playing odyssey (laughs) appa was losing her mind at the game um she never like gets upset at the tv but it was the level like the beach level with the penguins everywhere bing Kirk, from the future here, I just want to issue a slight correction. I was playing Super Mario Galaxy, not Super Mario Odyssey. I don't know how Appa feels about Super Mario Odyssey. Maybe she likes it. Who knows? Anyways... Back to the show. Bing. And mm-hmm. I wasn't I was like on my phone doing something and Mario was just standing there. And then suddenly Alpha just starts growling. That's and then so she funny. starts barking. Yeah, Mario? And then she's like barking like At the really? penguins, probably. And like I moved him on the screen and she was like, whoa, and like like,
0: like <laughs> running away from the screen. And it was getting Like suddenly really she could perceive the screen as a distinct object and she was like, Hold on. I think this it is might have been up.
1: that it was running at sixty frames per second, actually. <laughs> like I think that since most mm-hmm. of the TV we watch isn't at a high frame rate, that she saw the movement differently and was like fuck this so we kind of came over and like pet her and we're like it's
0: okay it's just just mario it's just mario (laughs) that's amazing amazing so yeah it's dangerous it's dangerous to increase your frame rate if you have a pet anyway anyway (laughs) i I have i now
1: have a (laughs) gpu envy i still haven't got a 3080 maybe i'll get a 3070 if that's all you need for 1440p
0: i wouldn't have i wouldn't have upgraded except i got sent one for free and now that i have it i'm like Maybe I should have upgraded to it. Maybe like, I should not upgrade. That expensive, have it's expensive. and it just convinced me. it looks pretty yeah. cool. Not so. that I'll be
2: able to buy one for six months. <laughs> I mean, I don't think you need it. Well, it's not like you there are going to be games that, like, maybe for next well, fall. Well, but there you know,
0: are. The Witcher 3 is getting a next-gen upgrade. And I know you like The Witcher 3, Kirk. Maybe you want to play it again. I think
1: that, I mean, AC Valhalla, Cyberpunk, those are going to, if you want them to really look good, they're going to be, they're going to push yeah, it. Yeah,
0: if you want them to look mm. really, really spiffy with all the ray tracing or whatever turned yeah. up all the way. Mm-hmm. I
1: love
2: yeah. well soon That's we'll be able need. to talk about how all that stuff runs on next gen console so I'm very yeah. excited to really break that down and so yeah just before we go just another quick reminder that like if you're curious about things just let us know um, you can tweet at us you can email us we're not going to be able to answer every single question we get but we'll try to answer like as much <laughs> as much stuff as possible because I want to know what people are curious about like leading up to it's a big decision like if you want to buy a console so we'll try to help you all out um, all mm-hmm. that said I think that's it for this week's episode so big thanks to Patricia yeah. for coming on yeah and a big thanks to yeah. you guys for being such wonderful co-hosts hey
1: thanks Aww. to you too man <laughs> and a big thanks to me awesome <laughs> big thanks to Jason
0: <laughs> thanks Jason uh, pre-order
1: Jason's book pre-order <laughs> yes. pre-order Jason's pre-order book pre-order it at any bookstore of your choice we'll put a link in the show notes Alright, I'll, I'll see you both next week Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network. And if you like our show, we hope you'll head over to MaximumFun.org slash join and consider becoming a member. Doing so helps support us and gets you access to an exclusive Triple Click episode each month. Find us online at tripleclickpodcast.com, on Twitter at tripleclickpod, and send email to tripleclick at maximumfun.org. Thanks for listening. See you next time.